This is a News Laundry podcast and you're listening to Reporters Without Orders. Order, order. And hello and welcome to Reporters Without Orders, a podcast where we talk about what made news, what didn't and some things that absolutely shouldn't have. Uh, we're recording today on the 26th of January and we're back to recording from our homes because we're in the middle of the third wave of the COVID-19 pandemic. And hopefully this will be the last wave that we all have to witness or report on. Today with me are Lasya and Supriti. Uh, before I begin, Lasya, this is your first Reporters Without Orders. I'm going to actually ask you to introduce yourself a little bit. Tell us where you're from and what you've been doing before joining News Laundry. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Nidhi. It's a pleasure to join you. So, like, I've joined News Laundry in September, last week of September, as you all know. Before that, I was working with uh, Citizen Matters um, and Deccan Chronicle even before that. So, I've been covering more or less Tamil Nadu or uh, politics, corporation, and women and child issues, among many other things I've been covering. And uh, I like reporting and writing. So, I'm really looking forward to do stories at News Laundry. So what are the kind of things you've been doing for us so far? I mean, it's a bit, it's also quite a lot to to imagine one person in the South as if South is one entity to imagine that, you know, you'd be covering everything in the South or are you covering specifically only Chennai or are you focusing on certain beats? In the four months I got to cover, uh, you know, only two states. Okay. One is Tamil Nadu and then like, covered a little bit of Karnataka hmm. and uh, I'm also looking uh, forward to do some stories from Andhra Pradesh. I've pitched a few stories. Hmm. So uh, the fact that I know both Tamil and Telugu is, you know, I think has come to an advantage. It's been, it's been a learning experience and it is, it's, uh, it's challenging, but exciting too. So, and yeah, uh, a strange time to join an organization, I'm sure, when you when you can't be there in person and, you know, so many things have changed in the pandemic, right? Yeah, so, like, I'm still settling in here, so I'm still understanding the stories we do. And I hadn't covered a lot of politics before joining News Laundry. So now, like, when I'm doing political stories, I'm actually interested to do it. So I kind of started liking it. And, uh, yeah, that's about it. I think it'll be the first time we have someone based in the South who's going to be uh, bringing us stories for News Laundry. So I think it's quite exciting. Um, as I did last week, um, it's titled Multiple 48-Hour Shifts, Risk of COVID. Uh, Delhi's doctors are desperate for a system overhaul. Um, so I think in late December, we actually started seeing visuals of doctors protesting. Um, this was one of their primary demands uh, was that the NEET PG counseling be conducted um, at the earliest and without any more delays. Uh, could you start by just sort of telling us uh, what are these uh, NEET PG counseling? I actually haven't heard it uh, a lot before this. Right. So basically, you know, the NEET is the um, like doctors who've completed the MBBS degree and internship that they sit for this uh, national eligibility come entrance test for postgraduate students to study like a particular specialization, such as medicine or surgery. Now, the test usually takes place in uh, Jan, but then last year, it was uh, delayed till November and I mean last to last year yeah and uh, because of COVID and then um, the counseling was also delayed then because the matter was in the Supreme Court regarding um, 
this new quota for uh, economically weaker classes so without counseling then new doctors would not be able to come into the um, hospitals and but your story actually goes a little forward because you look yeah. at how um, and those visuals were actually quite uh, stunning because it was a pretty big protest mm-hmm. and happening at the onset of the third wave so it was also a little scary to think that you know at this point of doctors go on strike when we're most dependent on them and you think that their issues would be addressed with a certain sense of agency did you urgency did you feel that uh, that happened like you said my story is more was more about giving a 360 degree view of if not all like most of the issues that plague doctors in delhi not just this counseling issue it went further than that so for instance when they talked to me about these issues that are stacked over the years it wasn't just like this because like i wrote in the story covid made a bad situation worse so uh, like i said it's more it was more about providing an overview of the issues that doctors face in delhi from the number of hours that they work in a week which is more than 48 in some cases and to something as basic as getting um, you know the hospital not providing them with scrubs and slippers for the operating theater so it covered a lot of issues not just the pg counseling issue so the pg counseling issue in that aspect was like a trigger and things had kind of snowballed over the last 2-3 years yeah so i mean uh, the skewed doctor patient ratio has been an issue that's in uh, you know it's been at the fore for many many years now so like doctor um, the doctor at molana azad medical hospital said like for a hospital that is um, that become that allocates 50% of its beds to covid patients first of all they've already working at a reduced capacity because of the lack of seats and the less number of doctors in the government hospitals then they are further seg- segregating it into like 50% doctors will work for non covid patients and 50% will work for covid patients and the number of patients is like four times what it's supposed to be so if you look at that situation it's catastrophic like you know in itself so is there a reason why you've cho- so you look at cases in particularly two hospitals saftarjung yeah. and molana azad hospital which are both government hospitals right one is uh, so saftarjung is a, a hospital run by the central government and uh, molana is delhi okay so can you tell me one what is um, why you chose these two hospitals and also what is the difference between a centrally run uh, central government run hospital and a state government run hospital the reason i chose the two hospitals was saftarjung because it was at the forefront of the neat pg protests and also because both of these hospitals are for example saftarjung is one of the largest government centrally run government hospitals and molana azad in the same way is one of the largest government delhi government run hospitals which is why i chose these two like as the case studies yes and um the, in terms of difference um from what i learned from the doctors it's essentially funding right like uh, the centrally run hospitals would be funded by the center and government would be funded by the government in terms of um if you're asking me in terms of like which was worse like regarding issues then i don't i felt like both of them had like they were at par with each other like with regard to that but um yeah other than that i didn't see any uh, difference what about in terms of um grievance addressing like did you feel like the central government run hospital mm. run hospital the responses that they got from the government when doctors were reaching out or protest right. was there a difference in that 
so uh, I can say that the Molana Azad uh, Medical Hospital. So uh, the doctor very categorically told me that uh, you know the every time there is an issue, they do get it addressed by the medical superintendent or medical director, and they do get a very quick response. Um, whether the implementation period is obviously is still very long and that is still an issue that's there for example uh, in december last year they had a an incident where the father of a patient he came into the hospital and uh, he was there was the heated argument between the doctor and the father and um, he just took out his gun uh, and laid it on the table as like to like to intimidate the doctor and uh, so immediately after that the doctors uh, the resident doctors association they reached they approached the uh, medical superintendent and asked him to among other things to install cctv cameras in the in specific wards now till today that was in december till today that has not been done now, uh, so stuff like the, it does take time. The matters are addressed, like you know, they are given given reassurances, but then uh, it takes a long time to implement. Last year, any idea how it's in Chennai? Like, is there also an issue of doctors being overworked? Is that also in the headlines quite a bit? So I did an article last uh, year about the plight of government doctors in Chennai. They were not uh, paid on time. The PG doctors and uh, the uh, the manpower is short staffed and there, there's also not a lot of equipment in the hospitals there was a dearth for sanit sanitizers too in the hospitals so currently the issue remains that there are the one uh, one thing that i feel is the same is the fact that the doctors are not given enough time for quarantine i am uh, just like supriti has mentioned in her article i'm wondering if it is because the government actually thinks uh, this wave is very mild or is it because there is a, there is a shortage of staff in the hospitals? Mm -hmm. So I wanted to ask this uh, question to Supriti. Is it like, what do you feel of like the rule? Actually, only one hospital in Delhi is following the rule as you have mentioned in the article. Like I said in the article, there's only one hospital that's providing accommodation for quarantine for these doctors. Now, the... Uh, so the medical superintendent uh, or medical director of both of these hospitals, they didn't respond to any queries that I had sent. And the doctors themselves don't know why this, uh, you know, this change has happened. Like we can obviously, um, you know, uh, guess that it's because they are short staffed, obviously, because I mean, they don't have enough staff. They are taking this uh, wave very like, are considering this wave to be a very mild one um so these are the reasons but that doesn't mean that the doctors uh, that this doesn't weigh heavily on the doctors because they see the kind of um toll that uh, even omicron takes on patients it's it takes a week to recover it is a very um you know i don't know if any of you tested positive this uh Thing. but uh, it's it's quite uh, you know it's it's quite bad it's not mild like as they try to say so um, yeah I think these are the reasons why but uh, it was a huge uh, like it was something that the doctors um, were really concerned about because the safety of their families and themselves is something that you know is a huge burden okay so um, you've obviously talked a lot about doctors being overworked um, and it's not like one so technically you tell us that they can do about one or two 24 hour shifts during the week but yeah 48 hours is what the 2008 guideline uh, mandates 
and this is uh, guidelines by the government yeah supreme court uh, it was based on a supreme court uh, uh, judgment so and this is in 2008 was uh, set right and but obviously these doctors are working quite a lot as per your story and the other thing that i wanted to ask you to touch upon in your story as well is while the doctors are overworked what is happening with their payment are they being equally compensated or is there are they also overworked and underpaid they are overworked and underpaid uh, it was uh, you know the uh, issue was both in the centrally like itself of the jung and molana azad this is what they both felt but you know there was a very uh, i felt like it was a sad thing that um, the doctor both the doctors told me was they have never and will never protest uh, for increase in salaries because they said that we joined this profession for like you know uh, a reason we know the amount we get paid so there will never be enough consensus amongst doctors uh, to ever protest for an increase in salary so that was a, a, an interesting thing that i found but they did feel that they are being underpaid but um, they said they would never protest for that so they said that they would protest for like when there's a delay in salaries like for instance um, dr mathur in molana azad uh, hospital he hasn't been paid since september last year and he's been working consistently so he said that yeah we uh, go together and we meet the medical superintendent and if we meet him a couple of times then he'll give with to us but um yeah he's not been he's been paid only once only once since uh, september so you're telling me that uh, hesitancy to protest also protest for higher pay not yes. pay, comes from their hesitancy to seem like because the job is so almost like there's so much sanctity attached yes. to the job they're almost hesitant to because the optics of how it may look yes. if they that is actually really sad and it's it's a, quite a few professions actually fall into the in, in the trap of like not being able to ask for more pay i think that's that's actually really terrible because they if they deserve uh, mm. to protected financially and financial respect i think matters a lot i i, I want to ask supriti you touch upon again briefly in your story a lot of these doctors um, some of the medical college students have had to step up and really like come into jobs and work full time before they technically would have in any other situation it's been a strange two years and they've been asked to step up um, which also means that their training is affected right so can you tell me a little bit about what is happening um, in terms of quality of education that a medical student receives uh, at a time like this yeah so like you said like for doctors uh, who have gone into specialize like for example surgery for instance like dr um, agarwal from uh, subdijang hospital talked about um, so for example a, do- a doctor who specializing in surgery he has to he or she has to um, you know have a very hands on uh, training like for example they have they can't learn from like books or like youtube videos like it's more it's very hands on we can only learn by seeing another doctor doing it or doing it themselves now all these two years they've not had any training because they've had to give up specialization and work in covid wards and for covid patients so they they and they are going to uh, graduate soon and they have had absolutely no training in that regard in the specialization so um, that the doctor agwal says that is going to like is going to be a huge problem later on because we're going to have a whole batch of doctors who are specializing in surgery who are not uh, equipped uh, who've not been trained enough to deal uh, with like actual surgery later on 
right so this also means that after suppose the pandemic does come to an end in the next few months there is still going to such a um, yeah. snowball effect that you know catch up with uh, after the pandemic as well there is going to be a spillover of like issues more definitely right and in the last section as you do with a lot of your stories i know you focus a lot on mental health and i think that's because it's a it's something that's really missed out in in many stories that we do simply because of the grand scale of the story that even mental health doesn't find space in it right um so tell me a little bit about first what did you find but before what did you find how did you find it like sometimes mental health is something that's not so easy to talk about people are not very open talking about it so uh, before like when i was doing my research for the story i knew that uh, you know mental health was something that was an issue uh, within the like healthcare uh, community i knew that it was an issue and uh, but i was obviously hesitant to like ask them about it because it is a very touchy topic and people like don't usually want to talk about it but what i found with these uh, doctors was they were more than like to talk about it because it's such a you know um, they've reached a tipping like point it's really um, they get no facilities they are overworked they are underpaid they like you know covid has taken such a huge toll on them mentally physically so they were very uh, forthcoming with their issues like with mental health um, i think it was uh, molana azad hospital which is the government um, delhi government hospital there during the first and second wave they had ngos that they collaborated with where there were 60 um, 60 to 70 counselors who would uh, call the doctors who were working in covid in the covid ward uh, call them every day they were given so to maintain like full um, oh, um what is it called confidentiality they were none of the senior doctors or like the management who was calling who so it was very uh, it was managed very well and the uh, doctor mathur also said that it was a very good thing that they had but that hadn't continue into the third wave so right now they have no one they have one doctor they have one psychologist who is in the uh, psychiatry department who is supposed to attend to 600 doctors apart so that he may have apart from the patients that uh, they may have and but uh, dr mathur's like my reaction was like yours like of shock like how is one psychologist supposed to tend to 600 doctors patients but dr mathur was very um, he was very grateful he was like we finally have one person at least yeah that was the response that dr mathur had which is like it's sad like it's a very uh, distressing situation that doctors have to be grateful when uh, like you know doctors call it an epidemic in the healthcare community this growing epidemic of like mental health to have just one psychologist for 600 doctors is like it's a very distressing situation absolutely yeah. and what's happened with the protest now like is it uh, has the counseling been um, there is there a set date for it yeah yeah it's been resolved now it's uh, done so they will have uh, their required um, you know manpower uh, back like i think the counseling was supposed to happen this month like it's supposed to start this month if i'm not wrong but um, yeah so which will obviously be a huge help Uh, i mean i'm i know that the wave is now slowly uh, you know tapering and even though this net pg counseling issue has been resolved they are short staffed by 
All right, so last year coming to you, uh, last week, I think actually now we can say about two weeks ago, there was a photo that went viral on social media. We actually see four uh, women who are students sitting outside their classroom in the photo. Uh, one thing common among them is that they're wearing the hijab and they're obviously sitting outside their classroom. Uh, this photo, I believe, was taken at the government PU college for girls in Karnataka's Udupi uh, district. Um, Lastly, can you actually explain uh, the context of this photo, please? And why why are these women sitting outside? Um, what is the issue? And more importantly, why did the photo go go so viral? Um, it went viral because these students, these Muslim girls, were not allowed inside the classroom. Hmm. The teachers were okay with them wearing a hijab, the headscarf, in the in the in the college premises, but not in the classroom. The hmm. logic they give is that. Religion should not enter the classroom is the logic they give. But these students, they have been asking uh, the college management to allow them to wear hijab, uh, but they didn't. There were many rounds of talks that went in. But when the college management did not respond, they did it for more than three months. When they did not respond for three months, they just went to the classroom by wearing a hijab. But the uh, teacher had not allowed them. They said, if you are not getting out, I'll go, I'm going to push you outside. They've been sitting outside the classroom for three months. No, uh, they have been, they're wearing the hijab only from the 28th of December. For three months, they asked them, uh, they asked for the permission to wear a hijab. They did not allow them. They said, yeah, maybe we'll look at it later and all those sorts. So since there was no response for three months, they just went ahead and uh, started going to the classroom with a hijab, but they couldn't. The teachers, obviously, the teachers had actually asked them to uh, sit outside the class with a hijab, if they're coming with a hijab. Right. So that's how the, the so these students have been protesting since then, and they posted a picture on uh, Twitter. It's got a lot of response on Twitter, also backlash. Yeah. Hmm. And at some point, like you tell us in the story, the police actually got involved, and there's a meeting that happens with the assistant commissioner and the parents and the management. How did the police get involved? Like, was this only after the photo sort of went viral, or was there? had the women reached out to any other system of authority other than their college? Yeah, so uh, from a lot of things happened from December 28th. So first, they were not allowed inside the classrooms, but they would go to college every day, try their luck, but they would not be, they were not allowed inside the classrooms. So they also reached out to the deputy commissioner and the assistant commissioner of the ODP district, who were, uh, like, they kind of had the hope that this issue would be resol resolved very soon. But this college, which, which was like not known to many people, is now all, all over the news, all over the headlines in national and international media too. So the round of talks, even from the management side, they're trying to, you know, resolve it. But they don't want to, uh, you know, go back on the decision. So the management uh, in one of the recent meetings that was held with uh, an official from Minorities Commission, with an official with the assistant commissioner and the principal and other officials included, the students were told to come to the classrooms, which means with a hijab. Mm. Okay, so that was the latest. Uh, even even the highest, uh, even the you know senior officials want the students to not make a big deal out of it and to come to classrooms with with their headscarves. Right. And the issue actually gets quite politicized um, also because there is the upper management of the college, I think you point out in your story, is directly involved in the politics of the area, right? And and is, it belongs to the BJP, if I'm right. 
Yeah. So it's very indirect. So every college in Karnataka has a college monitoring committee, which is, uh, you know, the president of the college monitoring committee is a uh, MLA, district MLA. So in this case, a district MLA is a BJP person. And uh, that is okay. But the vice pre president of the committee is belongs to OGP, uh, BJP's OPC Morcha. Hmm. So, uh, the decisions taken by the college monitoring committee reveals the bias of the management, of not just the management, but also the uh, uh, people in the college monitoring committee. Yeah. So, because uh, in one of the statements released by uh, the college monitoring committee, it was told that the Hindu students will be provoked to wear shawls, the saffron shawls, if the Muslim girls in Udupi College are not giving up the protest. And immediately after uh, a day after the statement was released, uh, students from another college in Karnataka wore saffron shawls. Mm. But there, the Congress MLA got into the situation and said, "No, you are not wearing the shawls. Let the girls wear hijab, but you are not wearing the shawls." Mm. So the MLA actually intervened, and the, the matter got resolved. But in this case, they are not willing to. Uh, the the girls are actually requesting. They don't want to like that, even though it's their right. The way they're approaching is they have been requesting for three months and then they, nothing happened and even now they're requesting. They're crying in front of the assistant commissioner, allow, uh, asking them asking them to allow to follow their constitutional right. That's all it's about. Yeah, and you mentioned in your story as well that there was a 2017 ruling by the Kerala High Court which observed that the right to wear hijab is actually covered under Article 25 of the Constitution. Um, now, I, firstly, I want to ask you, uh, this is a judgment that the Kerala High Court has passed. What effect does it have in other states? Because other states can, of course, say that this wasn't passed in our state. But there is a mention of this in your story. So obviously, we assume that this sort of a judgment would have effect on other states as well. What kind of effect does it actually have in Karnataka? So it's all about the perspectives of uh, the, the MLA and the principal are not talking about this Kerala judgment, but an observation made by Supreme Court some years ago, wherein the Supreme Court said it's okay, it's not a sin if you don't follow uh, your dress code, if, if, it's not a sin if you don't follow your religion during writing an exam. It's, a, it's not a judgment, but an observation made by the Supreme Court in a different case. So the college principal and the MLA are highlighting this, forgetting the fact that it is just an observation and not a judgment. So yeah. their points and their judgment, uh, the, their perspective is completely different on this issue. And they are even uh, talking ill about the girl students, saying that they're uh, very, they're not regular to college, that they are actually, uh, you know, they've copied in the exam. So all those things have been, uh, you know, allegations where rubbed on the girls' students. Could be true too, but how is this connected to this issue is all I wanted to say. Huh, I just wanted to ask, like, what is the level of intervention by the uh, State uh, Commission for Minorities? Yeah, so uh, complaints have been forwarded to State uh, Minorities Committee or Commission too, but here the nodal uh, department is the education department. So the education department should, uh, the, everyone is waiting for the government order from the education department. Uh, but in a recent uh, development, they, the government said that there will be an inquiry committee on the whole issue to decide whether there should be a dress code or not. Uh, so the, the another uh, argument that's been doing the rounds is the rule says there shouldn't be there, there is no dress code for pre-university students, and now there's, there's another section of people who is wanting 
and uniform from for the pre-university students too. So in this case, the State Minorities Commission cannot take a stand. So they're uh, they're just waiting for the order from the government, and it will happen after the inquiry committee comes up with a solution or a decision. There is a video online um, of the MLA Ragupati Bhatt where he actually said that uh, there's a lot of other Muslim students in the same college who haven't been protesting. Um, and it's a problematic but as well as an interesting statement that he makes. So what I wanted to ask you is, did you have a chance to speak to other Muslims? Like, wha- was there a reason why they were not protesting? Is it because there was pressure to, you know, not disrupt your education for this was there or were they actually okay with not wearing a hijab did you get any get any sense of other muslim students in the college yeah so i did speak to other muslim college students actually they as, according to the data given by the principal there are around uh, at least, uh, around 100 muslim students in the college and only eight of them are protesting is what the principal said and he said that they're doing it because they are irregular and not disciplined. These are the reasons he told. But when I spoke to the other Muslim students, what I understood is that it is an individual choice. Wearing a hijab is more of an individual choice. Mm-hmm. So the, for them, it was not. They were okay with not wearing a hijab and they're very comfortable without it too. There were some students who were like, who's, uh, when the management spoke to them and their parents, they got convinced. So they were okay with it. But they also explained the relevance of hijab like for many they under even though they are not protesting they want to express a solidarity for the students who are protesting for their right because they understand how it feels like they feel undressed without a hijab it's just like how you feel without uh, like how a few girls might feel without a shawl it's the same feeling for them and they're not very confident uh it's not just be- be- because the- it's a uh, there's another argument stating that it's a girls' college. Why do they actually need a hijab? But there are actually there are non-teaching staff. There are male uh, other male staff too. And these girls are not comfortable. So it's it's it should be okay for them to follow that right. Just just like the college is allowing other festivals to happen in the college. Like there is there was a Diwali celebration and girls uh, do uh, you know. Put on that bindi, Hindu girls. So it's it's. They say that it should be the same. It should be treated on the same path. Is what they feel. So last year you also, um, I wanted to ask you whether there's been a pattern of such cases in Karnataka and especially in this particular area. It actually reminded me of something that happened when I was in college because I remember uh, my college. I studied in Bangalore, in Mount Carmel College, and. At that point, I mean, at that point, I didn't know you could, you know, put this on social media and actually get attention for it and and make it enough news that people can actually fight for their constitutional rights. The management came up with that Muslim students would not be allowed to wear the hijab or the, if my term is right, the abhaya, which is the entire... Um, Actually, the burqa. They weren't allowed to wear burqa or hijab. And the excuse given was that, you know, during exams, they would copy because they could keep chits or like put a earphone and you wouldn't be able to see if they are, you know, not copying and things. And then the rule was that they had to take off their uh, burqa or their hijab before entering the college gate. And the college was on, you know, the main road. So these girls would have to stand on the footpath on the main road and actually take off their burqa or their hijab which was a very humiliating exercise and i i know that this has happened quite a bit uh, in bangalore and hasn't got enough attention but what was your uh, what was your finding did you sort of um, feel that there's been a pattern has this happened in this college itself before 
yes, it happened in this college itself because I spoke to the seniors, like the past uh, who, who passed out last year. So one of the students said that uh, the harassment was severe. They, they were asked to remove, they were not allowed in the classrooms with hijabs, but these girls still wore it. And the, and the response was very bad because in one of the incidents, a teacher, in, a physics teacher, removed the hijab of a girl forcefully, like the pin and everything. She removed it and threw it on a CCTV camera. And uh, in another incident, uh, incident and this the same teacher, the physics uh, teacher named Usha, according to the student so she was chasing a student wearing hijab and this student was so embarrassed she's hit on a table and crying when she was crying the teacher had actually mocked at her and laughing and passing statements like you should just go to a madrasi maybe if this is the case so such things have been now happening in this very call in the same college it happened in the same college but these girls still continue to wear a hijab. They even have photographic evidences of uh, them wearing a hijab. Uh, the college management, however, uh, denies all these and says this is the first time that it's been happening in the college. Uh, from from when from when it started in 1985, that's what the college management said. But besides this college, too, there have been many instances of uh, you know like where uh, Muslim girls wearing a hijab or a burqa were ill-treated by their fellow classmates. You know, like uh, they wouldn't share their notes, they they wouldn't talk to them at all. And uh, in 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 another college in Chikmagalur, I think uh, a group of uh, boys threw you know, like uh, shawls at them for wearing a hijab. They didn't know, uh, like what we need to understand here it is, like in some families, if they are not wearing a hijab or a burqa, these students are not allowed to, actually these girls are not allowed to study. Will not, their families would not allow them to study. So to change that, is it's a behavioral change that has to happen. Sometimes there is also, also a pressure or, you know, like from the families that they will they would be allowed to go to college only, uh, only if they were a burqa. But here the educational institutions or your friends, they are not cooperative. They are, you know, uh, harassing you or insulting you for following following the religious code. So, so such protests have been happening across Karnataka. Huh. So uh, what I wanted to ask was, what is the status now? Uh, has have the other girls still protesting, or rather, have they been allowed inside the classroom with the hijab? So there was a lot of media attention on the college. There were, uh, you know, like a uh, lot of media was all taking the interviews. So the college management has actually declared leave for uh, a week. Hmm. quoting uh, citing covid as a, as a reason and so the college uh, was on leave and now there is the till the inquiry is happening everyone is asking the girls to actually come to the classrooms in hijab from the state government to the college management so that the, it's, the issue is still happening and uh, they are desperately and hopefully waiting for the government order like for the inquiry commission to turn in their report and uh, hoping that something uh, would happen from that. Right. I had actually a question for the both of you, something I was thinking about while reading the story. And there's a sentence in it, I think that the MLA itself says where he says that, you know, if girls are, if, if Muslim girls are allowed to wear the hijab, um, why shouldn't um, Hindu girls or boys be allowed to wear the orange uh, or the saffron shawl, right? Um, if I remove whatever the biases that we have or uh, or the... Or, or the amount of uh, aggression we attach to the saffron shawl, um, what do you all feel? Like, is that a fair argument? Because as soon as he said it, my mind 
when to know that shouldn't be allowed. But if I thought about it, it almost seems like a legitimate argument that if one uh, group is allowed to express their religious identity, shouldn't another group also be allowed to express their religious identity? I don't have a conclusive answer, but what did you all feel about it? I think uh, in this context, it's more the response is more um, establishing a power dynamic. I don't know. That's what I get from this context. Like, uh, if they are wearing it, I will wear mine. It's like it's a very if you even if you remove like the aggression from like the saffron shawl mm. uh, that's attached to it. In this context, the reason is not purely of, uh, you know, I am expressing my religious identity. Exactly. I, I agree with Supriti on this. It's not like they were wearing the shawls even before this. They're wearing it so, you know, to provoke the other uh, mm. side. And that's the reason. So that is not expressing a religion or that's not actually being uh, true to your faith is mm. what I feel. But I get what you're saying, Nidhi. Like, I understand that, uh, you know, like, it should be, like, in, like, a, an ideal situation where, you know, everyone can just, like, live happily together and no one's provoked by the other. And, you know, in that situation, I think it would be, like, fair and, like, you know, everyone should be able to just wear whatever to express whatever. But that this is not an ideal situation. Um, context at the end. Yeah, no, I completely agree with what you both are saying in terms of power dynamic for sure. I mean, these are also eight young women who've come out and protest and the kind of, I mean, I saw some of the videos and the responses and obviously there is an attempt to go further than religion and fascinate them as women, as, you know, outgoing, protesting, rebellious women, which has its own connotations. But independent of that, when I was thinking of... Um, I mean, it's an argument. It's also an argument that, yes, this is protected under our constitutional right under 25. And even after this instance, say two months from now, if um, boys and girls, Hindu boys and girls want to show up in saffron shawls and they're not allowed to, it will be the same argument that's used, right? That their constitutional right, at least like, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I really don't know how to feel about this, but I felt like it was in some form an argument that could be, that could have some basis to it mm. but it's a thought exercise yeah <laughs> yeah but absolutely in this case the kind of treatment that these girls have received and also i think um, from what i what what i felt was also a lot of the images of the women were always only images of the eight women like i barely saw photos of large scale protests or um, now, you also mentioned in your stories that there is some form of support and solidarity that the women are receiving. But I don't uh, see that in terms of photographic evidence, right? Like you always see just these eight women. So I'm wondering, is there a hesitancy even from people who are, um, you know, in solidarity with the women to completely come out and expose their identity because of whatever fear they may have? Yeah, so in the college, these girls are, uh, you know... Uh, in fact, even now when the, the protest is ongoing and the issue is all over the media, but the principal, uh, even the teachers have explicitly told, if you're doing this, we know how to, you know, meddle with your internal marks. Mm. We know how, what to do with your attendance. That's the response they're getting uh, for, you know, fighting for their uh, right. So uh, why do you, how, like, this, this is actually the reason why the other, you know, the, the other girls who are expressing their solidarity don't want their names to be quoted because they are, uh, you know, they, 
they're under the fear of the college management. They don't want any risk to happen. They don't want to take any risks. But on social media, a lot of people, you know, like uh, are responding uh, or supporting uh, the girls who are protesting. But at the same time, I'm surprised at the, you know, level of comment, uh, surprised at the comments on social media too. Like, they would just say these these students who are following the religion they should just sit at home they should not come outside they shouldn't come to the college so that's the response from a lot of people at the same time there are people who actually see why is it actually even an issue what is wrong if they follow the right it's just a matter of you know like they just they just want to wear it in the classrooms and that should be fine so why is this a problem so there are also logical voices like this. At the same time, there are also, you know, people who are against these religious values. They're... Yeah, I mean, I think that educational institutions have become like the kind of tools they have to use for intimidation and harassment is very, very problematic. Like the fact that I think sometimes students have to choose between being a good student and a dignified citizen. It's such an unfair choice uh, to have. Yeah. yeah. And it's so ingrained also within you as a child, I think, when you go to school. Um, okay, so before we close off, um, I actually want to ask y'all if you've been, you know, reading anything nice or watching anything nice, any recommendations for our listeners? Yeah, so I want to recommend the Hotstar uh, series, um, which is Human. I, it's about, uh, essentially, with giving any spoilers, it's about a vaccine, uh, like a vaccine trial gone wrong. Uh, a lot of people that have recommended it too don't want to watch it because they say it's too close. It's too close to reality. But it's a very, I thought it was a very well done show. Um, really uh, gripping. And I, yeah, like recommend that. What about you, Lasya? Uh, so I'm actually currently reading the book Karaku by Bama, the, gift, the, the book gifted by Nidhi Suresh <laughs> uh, last month. So it's an interesting read. It's a it's actually, you know, it can be a quick read, just 120 pages, but I'm taking it very slow to absorb the pain felt and the struggle felt by Bama while, uh, you know, the, it's an, uh, it's based on a, based on her real story. So I would ask all of you to read to understand what are the problems faced by Dalit women, uh, you know, uh, from a rural background. Yeah, so I would actually want to recommend uh, two things. One is I've been reading a book called The Odd Woman in the City by Vivian Gornick, which I think is such a classic novel. It's a, uh, it's a woman who's in her 60s or 70s who's actually just writing about her experience of walking around New York City and kind of the friendships and the, and the men she's loved through her life and the kind of flashbacks she gets when she walks through the city. I think... It's a, it's a memoir uh, and it's an ode to herself in some way of the things she's been through and how she's aged through her life. And it's, it's beautifully written. Um, and the other thing I've been really enjoying watching is this Netflix series called Cheer. Um, it's actually about American cheerleading. But what's really cool about uh, the series is I think just how they've been working as a team. They, they have a coach who's... Um, and you just see how much of mental work goes into, you know, doing something together as a team for a year. And it's really been making me think about how um, we haven't had the opportunity to work as a team. You know, we, it, it, due, due to the pandemic, we've been so far away from each other, getting to know each other and or spending time with each other. Such a huge part of work life. Um, but it's a great series and I think it's very well shot. So that's, uh, that's something I would recommend. Yeah. 
Okay, guys, thanks for taking the time out uh, to get on the podcast today. And I hope listeners have enjoyed listening to the podcast. If you're listening to this podcast on any other podcast platform, don't forget that we actually have our own podcast player and you can find it on our website. And apart from podcasts, we're also doing ground reports and video interviews, especially over the next uh, one month. Um, my colleagues and I will be traveling across different states in India where there's assembly elections happening. Um, Aditi and I are very lucky we get to go to Goa, um, and, but the rest of the team are also going to uh, Uttarakhand, UP, Manipur, and Punjab. So watch out for all our reports, and you can you'll be finding a lot more material on our website over the next month. Um, and with that, this podcast is adjourned. All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes, and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. To catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs and sport, visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to our YouTube channel.